The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies KC. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And today we have Anton Kotar, who is the founder of Anton's Tap Room and Restaurant in the Crossroads District. And our executive producer, Mary McKenna, and I were fortunate enough to go spend some time with Anton on a tour a couple of weeks ago. As you listen in, you'll see that this is much more than a restaurant. And we pump this water into the floors from the compressors. It comes out of the compressor at about 85 or 90 degrees. That's what creates the heat in the building. My furnaces, I do have furnaces in the building. They're on a uh, timer. They shut off every night at 11. And when you walk back in here tomorrow morning, it'll be 80 degrees in this building. Wow. And it's January. Yeah. Um, and last year it did the same. I believe that it's satisfying 60% of my heat needs in the building. My gas bill here, Almost 2 million BTUs of furnaces, kitchen equipment, and hot water tanks, 5,500 square feet, 8,000 customers with 765 bucks last month. Okay, so $765 heats 5,500 square feet. My bill for my house isn't much less than that. So you have found all different kinds of ways to conserve energy, to cut costs, to produce efficiencies, and to add to the add to the sustainability uh, with some of the different things you put in place. Tell us about how your lights work in your restaurant. Um, we just were approved uh, for the rebate through KCPNL to change everything to LED. Uh, there's 486 light bulbs in the building, and um, we're going to change all those out. We, we're waiting on those to be delivered. And once they're changed, then I'm going to alter the globe. Some of the problem that we've seen with the LED is the color mm-hmm. and the um, the uh, the starkness of it that uh, it's not conducive to restaurants and atmosphere. Right, the ambiance is too it's too bright, too bright yeah. and too cold. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost a blue white, yeah. um, and and it's not something that people like to eat around. Blue is one of the colors that you try not to use in the restaurant business, and if it comes in light, it's even worse. So what what I've done is um, taken a bunch of the samples that I've got from different uh, providers and. And the manufacturers, and I figured out a way to alter the globe that's on the exterior of the bulb to tone it down dramatically. Um, the beauty of LED is the we uh, we're going to cut our our kilowatt usage down to 25 percent of what mm-hmm. we're using right now. My single phase electric bill that my lighting runs on uh, averages about $1,700 a month. Um, I believe I can get that down to around $400 by wow. changing the bulbs out. Yeah. The other side of that is, is that those bulbs have a 40,000-hour guarantee. Um, so that's three and a half years before I should have to change or pay for a bulb. And we've been there about 16 months now, and I've changed everything in the building at least twice. 
With your current setup with the of current lighting. Setup, correct. Okay, so mm-hmm. so it's going to pay for itself in no time. In no and, time at all, right? And Casey Pnl, the you know, luckily has a, a great program out there that do. allows people to apply for these. Uh, if you want to change over, they do give rebates back, and in this in this case, they're covering the cost of the light bulb for me. Mm-hmm. And more, it sounds and more, like. Sure. So so you have figured out a way to reduce your heating costs. Uh, you are switching over to the LED lights, and you're retaining the ambiance that people like in a restaurant with that. Now, tell us about some of the other things that you do uh, from a sustainability side, from a green side of things. You recycle water in your building, too, and in the summertime, you use it as fountains to add to the uh, aesthetics of the place. Tell us about how all that works. Correct, correct. Um, the compressors that run the refrigeration, refrigeration is a must in the restaurant business. There were some compressors in a um, factory in Oklahoma that I was fortunate enough to get a call from a friend of mine who was doing the demolition on it after it had closed. So I purchased those from him. They were water-cooled. Um, the the uh, normal operation for those compressors would be to, to hook up city water to them. And when they kick on or turn on, the compressor would run cold water through it, just like your car would, except that we now use our floor as the radiator. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've run PEX tubing in the floor, which allows for the hot water to come out of the compressor. It gets captured in a tank and then pumped through the floors. The water comes out at about 85 to 90 degrees, which keeps the concrete floors in the basement somewhere around 85 or 90. And it also dissipates the heat into the building, which allows the water to go back to the compressors. What, we, what we've done is able to cut our gas bill down. Um, I believe that it satisfies about 60% of my natural gas needs in the building. Mm-hmm. And um, the other side mm-hmm. of it is is that the compressors would normally run about 120,000 gallons of water a month down the drain. Instead of doing that to a tune of uh, somewhere around 700,000, we now only use about 2,000 gallons of water um, because we capture it and treat it mm-hmm. in the basement in a tank. So right. It's a it's a very efficient system. Now in the in the summertime when we do not need the heat in the building, I'm able to shut the floors off, clean those out, and then we pump the water outside. And it right. um, there's a about 600 linear feet of PVC pipe buried 40 inches deep underground, and that disperses the heat into the earth um, because the earth is a natural 55 to 60 degrees in this area. And uh, then it goes up on a wall uh, that we built back there out of old growth cedar. And it acts as a cooling tower, so it's a very efficient um, fountain, uh, and it, it really sets an atmosphere. And uh, oh, on your makes, patio, on right. the patio itself, mm-hmm. we have a little beer garden back there. We call it, and um, it's it's just a nice, serene area. You're in the restaurant business. Where do you come up with all these ideas? Um, my my background is construction at heart, so I've seen cooling towers be used mm-hmm. all over the country in different applications: nuclear power, uh, refineries. Um, commercial buildings. Uh, I, I do have a, a good friend, um, an older gentleman, um, Bruce Smith, who is an HVAC guy. I always call him the BTU genius. If you need to move one degree somewhere across town, Bruce is the guy that knows how. Um, and we we just sit around and collaborate and you know enjoy a pale ale from Boulevard now and then and say, okay, what can we do next here? And um, you know, you, you you put someone together that has that type of mindset with someone like myself who. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always say there's doers and sayers, and uh, this is what we end up with, a very Mm -hmm. efficient restaurant. Besides the fact that 
it, it fascinates me that someone who's running a restaurant thinks like you. It, it also brings up, when people ta- start talking about being green and sustainability and recycling, dollar signs start going off in their head. Oh, that's going to be so expensive. You hear businesses say we can't convert over. But you're actually proving that by investing in some of these things, it is saving you money. It's it's creating efficiencies. It's making you more profitable. You have you're not you're not as dependent on outsiders for things. You actually have more control of your costs. And so it kind of debunks that myth that it's more expensive to introduce these kinds of processes into a business. Yes, very very much so. Um I always say that the cost of doing the heating system in the floors was paid for in our first year of business which I opened in October. Right. So in yeah. two months. October I was of able, 2012. Of 2012, mm-hmm. correct. So I was able to recoup that cost in the first year. Yeah. Um, what I've saved over the next this next year, 2013, that's how I basically feed my own children. That's my paycheck. I figured out a way to get a, to, to get a paycheck out of a restaurant that's one year old as mm-hmm. an owner, which is the – uh, it's very abnormal. I exactly, say. exactly. It's very rare. rare. So, uh, mm-hmm. let's talk about the restaurant too. The you have your own butcher shop in there, and you you can carve all your meats. Tell us about that process. Sure. Um, one of the things that I was very um, interested in doing was a better source of of food. Um, being a dad now, you do you do think about it a lot more. What your children are eating and what's going on in the societies today and. Uh, I'm an advocate of trying to eat better and feed our kids better. I believe firmly that there's something going on in the food sources that's mm-hmm. causing a lot of the problems that our children are seeing today. Um, so I, 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 I've had a lot of people contact me and want to get into a uh, an anti-mode, an anti-corporate, an anti, you know, just to throw it out, maybe a Monsanto or something. I'm not anti-Monsanto. I believe that corporations have the right to do what they want. What I am anti is the fact that our local and state and federal representatives may not make them tell me that it's there. As a Uh, parent, I want the the right to make the Mm -hmm. decision what's best for me and my children and don't want anybody to hide that from me. So, unfortunately, I'm confident that they may not make that decision if we – if we were sure they would, we wouldn't have all these initiative on ballots for so long about labeling and mm-hmm. and uh, things of that nature. So my interest in this restaurant was to be sure that when our people from Missouri did not make the right call for parents, that I did not have to scamper quickly to find a, a clean food source. So we decided to go into grass-fed beef, um, organic produce, uh, all of our proteins are hormone-free, antibiotic-free. Um, you know, it's just uh, one of those uh, d- do it now more than later. Right. And and when you serve these, when tell us about how your menu works. I think that's kind of fascinating. When you order a steak, in a lot of restaurants you get a 14-ounce sirloin or a, a strip steak, a 14-ounce strip. You don't know if it's really 14 ounces, but tell us how yours works. Sure. Uh, one of the things that I've that I've always noticed in in restaurants in steak restaurants particularly um the 16 ounce steak if you go and say uh, for instance like you just did a a 16 ounce Mm t-bone they all look exactly alike and i've had other people that work for me that were steak cutters in other restaurants and they will tell you the same thing they cut the one inch or one inch one inch one inch and that's what you get um in doing that i realized that beef is like people 
uh, I'm 240 pounds. You would never really guess it. I don't want to say I'm not a little chubby guy, but uh, <laughs> I'm a thicker person. Um, they always called it big bones when I was a kid. But, you know, some people swear that I'm not 240. I have to prove it every, every day almost. <laughs> so I realized that cattle are the same. This cow weighing more or being a little more muscular, uh, you know, fat and muscle to have different uh, have different um, textures and, and weights to them. So one of the things that I wanted to do was to say to the public, look, if you come into the restaurant, we have minimums. And those minimums are really just set because of the equipment that we use mm-hmm. to cook that piece. And it's such a high temperature at over 1,600 degrees. If I allowed you to go smaller, it would completely tear that piece of meat up and it right. wouldn't be uh, acceptable to eat. So we wanted to set a minimum, but you can order your steak for any size after that. So we hand cut that steak at that time, and you're welcome to come up and watch it happen. We have an open kitchen where the steak cutting is occurring and watch how we clean it and then how we handle it. Um, We also dry age. Grass-fed beef uh, at heart is a little tougher. Mm -hmm. There's not as much marbling going on in it. So... uh, but in, in a dry aging process where you're breaking the beef down, um, breaking the proteins down that make the muscle tougher uh, over a period of time, our standard dry age date is 28 days. Um, we do some 42-day specials in the bone-in ribeye, and we do some 60-day prime rib also that are specials. Um, and it really does tenderize the meat dramatically and the flavors enhanced dramatically. If you think about balsamic vinegar, for instance, mm-hmm. reduction to balsamic mm-hmm. vinegar, a redu- uh, you know, reduced balsamic is so much more uh, flavorful, and so is the beef. Um, Kansas City has always had a reputation of a great state town. Um, unfortunately, over the last 35 or 40 years, we haven't had anybody represented in the top 10 in America as the top is one of the top ten. It's been my intention from this so that when people come out of the hotels, these people that are coming, we're, we're driving tourism downtown now. Yes. When they get here, they have to leave happy. They can't come and say, well, I went to a steak town and got a terrible steak. Right. I've had better steak elsewhere. So to do that, you have to start, in my opinion, with a great, clean, nice piece of product, not tempered. Uh, with the hormones and antibiotics that uh, I believe change the flavor. Corn, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, changes the flavor of beef. It's not the beef flavor. Um, So it was really important to start with a good piece, handle it correctly, and just go back to basics. Everybody asked me about how did you figure this out, and I said I didn't. This went on 50 years ago here in Kansas City. We just got away from it when we started mass-producing cattle. So when you talk about this mass-producing, which is where a lot of this is done, as you say these days, where do you get this in? What are your sources? Um, uh, For the the grass-fed beef, uh, about 98% of it comes from Rain Crow ranches out of Donovan, Missouri. Okay. Um, Rain Crow is a a great grass-fed provider. Um, They do a lot of grass-fed beef. From what I understand, they may be the second largest in America. At mm. 250 head a week. If you think of that, it seems like a whole lot of cattle. It does, but it's probably not. <laughs> no, when you get into um, feedlot style cattle or the, you know, out in the middle of Dodge City, there's a factory out there that's running about 5,700 a day. Oh, wow. Um, it's a number that's staggering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was fortunate enough this past summer to get a chance to go out and see it happening and um, some friends of mine said, why would, you, why would you even consider going? And I said, I just have to make sure that what I think is accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they pretty much proved it. 
It's yeah. there. You know, uh, 34 million uh, head will be harvested this year in America, and someone says around 90% will uh, go right through Kansas. Mm. Um, so they are moving them through there. Well, what you're, what, what you're describing reminds me of the wine industry. You've got these big mass-produced uh, vintages and bottles and uh you then you have the small boutique wineries that might only do a few hundred cases a year but they they are just ray every single bottle practically as it's bottled they know what goes into it they know every every step of the process and it's very controlled it reminds me of of your story with the cattle there so we're going to take a quick break when we get back we're going to come back and talk about your tilapia farm you're progressing in your career, but at a pace that feels slow. You're ready to make great strides and invest in yourself. With your work and home schedule, how do you accomplish this? The Executive MBA program at Benedictine College, Kansas City's only one-year executive MBA program, is the answer. The competency gained and character built are outcomes that are of immediate and future value regardless of your future path. Go to benedictine.edu slash EMBA. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media, and we're visiting this morning with Anton Kotar, who is the owner of Anton's Taproom and Restaurant in Kansas City's Crossroad District. We've been talking about some of the real renaissance-type things that you're doing with your restaurant, with the way that you heat your building, light your building, the butcher shop that you have in there where you hand-cut these grass-fed cuts of meat. And you also have a tilapia farm in the basement. Tell us about that. Uh, Correct. um, They they call it aquaponics. we raise a lot of the herbs that we use down there through aquaponics. Uh, aquaponics is different than hydroponics because the nutrients come from the waste from the fish. Uh, we do have tilapia in tanks down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tanks have been uh, approved by the Department of Conservation, which uh, the first time they saw them, I think, kind of concerned them a little bit or scared them, and, and the health department itself mm-hmm. was a little confused about it. but. Um, fortunately, um, they're interested in helping Kansas City step up a little bit, and we're willing to allow us to try it. Um, so what we've done is we, we do breed tilapia on site and, um, you know, raise them down there. We use those some of those tilapia in our fish tacos that you'll eat. Right. Unlike commercial farms, we're not feeding hormones. We're not changing sex. Uh, tilapia is a mm-hmm. fish that the sex can be changed. And we're not interested in doing that. The tilapia eat um, ground-up uh, produce from the salad stations that we are prepping in the morning and a little bit of proteins that come out of the butcher shop in the evenings. Uh, so we throw some bones in once in a while, and it's a great protein source mm-hmm. for them. Then we peel those back off in the morning yeah. um, to so, get them off the water. So I digress a little bit here, but why? what would be the advantage of changing the sex of the tilapia? And you guys don't do it, but why would somebody well, um, want to do that? Tilapia, What's the advantage? Uh, tilapia is a, is a mouth brooder. They lay eggs, uh, and they carry the eggs in their mouth, a female mm-hmm. does, until they're ready to hatch, which doesn't take long, three to five days. Um, wow. <laughs> the, yeah. The problem is is that there's 400 to 500 eggs at a time, and they get about half, male and female. Male grow to about a pound and a half in about a six-month period. Females never do. They get okay. to, They get about a half pound at best. Um, so they want to have all male in their sources, and mm-hmm. they don't want them breeding in the tanks amongst themselves. Sure. It causes a, a lot of anxiety within within the, the group of them. Only so, imagine. Um, they they do change the sex they um, by using a male hormone. 
I don't think the hormone is something that I want to feed my little girl. Sure, sure. So, so you use the the fish, you use the tilapia in your tacos. You use it to um, for your herb garden. Correct. And then you use from your herb garden, you use that on your menu and, and to prepare your dishes. So you just have all this little, this little self-contained world right there in the sure, restaurant. Sure. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we we try to uh, use as many of the herbs as we can. If you have a steak, you'll have chives uh, as a garnish on that steak and in the presentation of it. And they're all grown down in the basement. There's basil down there. There's oregano, rosemary, mint. Uh, I just planted some um, uh, lavender that we're mm-hmm. going to make some ice creams with. Uh, out back in the uh, in the beer garden, I do have blueberry, strawberry, and raspberry bushes planted that we've used this summer. The uh, strawberries and raspberries came up pretty quickly, and uh, we were able to use those in the bar menu uh, and sure. some nice cocktails. Uh, my pastry chef at the time um, used some of that in uh, desserts. Um, you know, again, it's it's about uh, transparency and where your food's coming from and what's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we try to let the general public know that if they're eating it there. It's it's clean, and, and I want them to see where it's coming from. If they want to come and see anything in there, we're willing to let them see that. So. Yes, and if you go down to the restrooms down there, you can see your herb garden. Correct. It's, it's right there for, for anybody to, to mm-hmm. see even without a tour. So people who are listening now might think, you know, this this is very rare. It's an anomaly. This isn't something that can really easily be replicated. Uh the other question that I, I have about this whole thing is when you're talking about a cattle ranch or farm that produces 250 or sends 250 heads of cattle through a week versus these great big cattle farms out in Dodge City, and you think about the world hunger situation, uh, one of the things that always comes up in these kinds of discussions is, well, if you don't have GMO, if you don't have the huge corporate farms, you're not going to be able to produce enough food to feed the world. What, what's your take on that argument? At heart, bah humbug, I guess. <laughs> um, I, you know, the the uh, the days of the small farmer are, are numbered, and it's unfortunate because they have fed the world forever, and I still believe that they can. Um, you know, it's kind of a. Uh, the, the big corporate farmers, they do it for a lot cheaper. The smaller farmer can't stay in the game, and then they end up, uh, you know, getting rid of the farm, the family farm. And there's laws in place that make the family farm almost detrimental. Um, you know, the farmer passes away and tries to pass it on. And state taxes. The state taxes and, mm-hmm. and everything else. These guys want nothing to do with it, and they're not corporate, you know, conglomerates. They right. can't stay away from the taxing burdens. Mm-hmm. and uh you know, there's things in place that make it. Uh, you get paid to produce corn and sell it for a cheaper, uh, cheaper than cost um, scenario right. uh, than what it costs you to raise that corn. And um, you know, that's it's detrimental to capitalism and this, the small farmer in America. You know, they've been the heroes. We needed them forever, and now they're getting cast aside, and it's a shame. It really is. You are a, a contractor. You're in construction uh, as your as your background. You've also been in the restaurant business prior to Anton's. Uh, you you were uh, one of the founders. When you were partnering grinders. Are you? How, where did you learn how to cook, though? How did how did you transition from being a contractor and and develop this interest in owning restaurants? Um, growing up as a kid, one of ten children, the oldest male of ten. Uh, <laughs> you my, wanted to cook or eat? You cooked for yourself? You huh? had to, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, my father did all the cooking. He worked in a steel mill every day, 
came home. And of course, when you think about it, you think, wonder why his mother didn't cook. But keep in mind, there were 15 loads of laundry to do sure. a day also. And I don't know if you ever tried to do 15 a day. It's no. a full-time job. Plus, with 10 kids, there was 20 straight years of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And when you're cooking for a family of 12, and then my grandmother and grandfather moved in with us in their older years, um, you know, the, if you had spaghetti dinner that night, it was 12 and a half pounds of spaghetti with 30 <laughs> gallon of water. And, you know, you couldn't expect a, a pregnant woman to, to pick that up. Either. Right. So and my dad did it. He, he just he, my brothers are cooked. They like to cook a lot. You know, they cook at their homes. And, um, uh, you know, I, I've always liked restaurant life and I've been single for so long that I think that uh, uh, I, I consider myself a foodie. And when I'm in other cities, I want to know what they're doing and what they're eating and. Uh, you know, try to get to the most uh, the trendiest spots. Let's see mm-hmm. what's going on there, and uh, it's just, it's it's always been a, a great interest. Um, so, do you think that you are a restaurateur who's interested in green, or are you a green fanatic or zealot who just happens to own a restaurant? Where do you think you fall there? Um, that right down the middle, fifty-fifty. Mm-hmm. I. Um, you know, I, I like the restaurant business. I this podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.